Excited to continue our sermon series this morning of I Am. Uh, before we get into that, uh, I just want to tell you guys that uh, I'm very thankful for you and uh, very proud of you uh, if this is your home. Um, and I know that what I'm about ready to say, you're not doing it for me, you're doing it for Jesus, but we put out a call a couple weeks ago and just said, hey, like our, our church is growing, second hour, we're nearing you know, well over 80% capacity. Would you be willing to come to first hour to make room? And um, you're coming first hour to make room. Um, so thank you uh, because um, your, your willingness to be on mission with us to make space for people in this room and at the table to experience Jesus, it matters. It matters. And you could have chosen to be selfish. You could have chosen to be like, ah, it just works best for me. But you're choosing to lay your life down for other people. Thank you. Thank you. I want to let you guys know a couple things logistically as we get ready for Easter uh, that we just really just began to think about and realize is uh, first one is this is we've got three services and we've got three Easter egg hunts after each every single one of those and we want you to know parents uh, that logistically coming to church and then going to the Easter egg hunt afterwards what is what you're going to want to do we only have about a 20 minute turnaround between services and our egg hunts are going to start at the same exact time as the next Easter service. And so if you've got the idea of like, oh, I'll come to the Easter egg hunt early and then go to church, it's not going to work because you're probably going to miss 20 minutes of the service because we're going to be doing two things at once, service and Easter egg hunt over there. So I just want to give you a heads up. I want you to be disappointed when you show up here and, and come early and then go to a service and then miss it um, or a good portion of it. So I want to let you know about that. And then also, if you have the ability, would you be willing to come to first or third hour? So that second hour is going to be the prime time. And again, we're looking to make space for people. So first and third hour, if you could come to either of those services, that would be awesome. In addition to that, we are going to have overflow parking available over um, this building right over here. So if you want to check out overflow parking to make space and walk, that would be amazing um, as we transition from service to service. So I don't know about you, um, challenges that are good challenges, amen? So uh, let's continue to be about Jesus and his mission and expecting God to continue to do miracles in you and through you guys as you, as you partner with him. Uh, we're entering into this, uh, the end part of this sermon series as we've been talking about who is Jesus and addressing the I am statements. And these statements on the service have a lot of amazing imagery, a lot of amazing things that Jesus says, um, but there's a whole lot that's going on below the surface too in these statements. And I hope they've been an encouragement to you to really understand who is Jesus and who is he saying about himself? What's he saying about himself? And what are the implications therefore of our lives and how we should live and walk with him? We're getting to the point of these I am statements towards the end of his life. And as much as we as Christians, if you claim to be a Christian this morning, there's excitement about Easter every single year, right? Like we're two weeks away, and there's excitement uh, about all the different activities, about the ability to worship Jesus, to celebrate and remember that we're, we are Christians because Jesus conquered death. He was dead and he, he conquered death. He's alive and he's alive today sitting on his throne. As much as there is anticipation for us and excitement for us as Christians, 
As we enter into the story of where we're at with John and with Jesus, this is not actually an exciting time for Jesus. And it's not an exciting time for his disciples. Now the crowds are like expecting Jesus. He's come into Jerusalem now at this point of the story that we're at in John and talking about the I am statements. Uh, Joe did a great job talking about Lazarus and Lazarus being raised last week. It's right after Jesus raising Lazarus that he actually sets his face resolute towards Jerusalem, it says. And the shortest verse that we saw in, in the story of Lazarus, that, that Jesus, what did he do? That Jesus, he, he what? He wept over Lazarus in that situation. He then looks to Jerusalem and he weeps again. As he's entering into Jerusalem, he's weeping. Why? Because he says there, he says, if you just would have listened to me, if you just would turn your heart over to me, if you would just just believe what I'm telling you. And he knows that for many that they choose not to. This is moving into this last week of Jesus' life that we're looking at. And actually tonight, today we're looking at the last, one of the last nights he has with his disciples. It gets really tense. And a lot of uncertainty. We're going to be in John chapter 14, but I just want to tell you what's going on in John chapter 13, the previous chapters. This is the last Passover meal that Jesus has, and he has it with his disciples. And if you haven't signed up for the Seder dinner, do it. Because you're going to get an understanding as to what is going on in this chapter 13 when it comes to Jesus and his disciples on, on April 8th. But Jesus washes his disciples' feet at this Passover dinner. And if you remember, like, there's a big blowout, pretty good blowout with Peter. Peter's like, Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. I need to be washing your feet. Jesus is like, if you don't let me wash your feet, you can have nothing to do with me. He's like, well, then wash my whole body, right? There's this big conflict that happens in the middle of dinner. In addition to that, Jesus acknowledges with his disciples in a quiet place, in a room, having the Passover Seder, he says, someone here is going to betray me. Now, can you imagine the disciples? They are like, not me. Well, who is it? And we all know, if we know the story, is Judas. But not only that, Peter steps up and he says, Jesus, like, I would never betray you. And what does Jesus say to him? Tonight, or the rooster crows. Three times you will deny me. This is how we enter into John chapter 14. It is intense. The disciples are confused. They are worried. And Jesus, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of worry, in the midst of anxiousness about what's really going to happen, Jesus makes a profound statement about who he is. What is that profound statement? John chapter 14, verse 1. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Jesus is reading the room. He understands and sees what's going on in their eyes, going on in their soul. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, 
We don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This passage has got a lot of things going on in it, but the first thing I want you to understand is that when a family decides, a man decides that he wants to marry a woman in the Jewish culture, this is what a man would do. A man would get up, he would go to uh, the, the father of the bride, and he would go and ask this question, I want to marry your daughter. And they make arrangements about what that actually looks like. And they have a conversation. And after they get done having a conversation and an agreement as to what's going to take place in regards to getting married, the thing that sealed it was a glass of wine. If you remember, Passover Seder dinner has a lot of what? Wine. And then Jesus makes this statement where a man would actually make the same statement and say, I'm going to leave now. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's my father's house. It has many, many rooms. This is what a man would say to the, the father of the bride and to the bride. And that, that man would then leave and go to his father's house and make living arrangements. Twelve months, you guys. Twelve months, he would go and make living arrangements. And then eventually he would come back and they'd have a wedding ceremony. What's Jesus doing here in Luke chapter, or John chapter 14? What's he doing? He's proposing to his disciples. You're like, that's kind of weird. Yeah, it is kind of weird. We don't understand it in our culture, right? But in their culture, what Jesus is actually saying is, you are a part of my mission, and I'm inviting you to be a part of the mission. And actually, this idea of God partnering with his people in wedding language and wedding ceremony is not new in the Bible. It's something that took place clear back in Exodus. If you remember Exodus chapter 19, Moses went up to God and the Lord called him um, in front of the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. Now I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my, what's that next word? Keep my covenant. Covenant in relationship. Covenant in marriage. Partnership. Then, you'll, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. What bride doesn't want to be told that they are a treasured possession? Every bride does, right? That's what God is saying to his people. I'm making a covenant with you. A marriage relationship with you. You are my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you're to speak to the Israelites. And so Jesus is reaffirming this covenant that God had made with the Israelites from the very beginning to his disciples and saying, you're mine. Will you choose me? Will you partner with me? And then Jesus in verse six says this. Jesus answered as they asked the question, what, what is the way, Lord? I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through, what's he say, except through me. Jesus makes a statement about himself. That he is the only person that brings true life, fulfillment, and purpose. Jesus is the only person that brings true life, fulfillment, and purpose. And not only that, 
Not only does he claim that, he also claims for himself divinity, which is different than any other religious leader that we know of has never claimed divinity. Jesus claims that he is God. John chapter 14. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, verse 7, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus is saying, I'm on the same level as God the Father. I'm on the same level. And if you want to get to the Father, you have to come through me. I am the only way, the truth, and the life. Now, in our culture, sometimes we read that, and especially if we're not a believer, we go, isn't that a little bit arrogant? I mean, to claim the only way is through one person, is Jesus? Isn't that a little arrogant? Isn't that offensive? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's an offensive statement, but guess what? He gets to make it because he's God. And the proof of it is that he not only died, but that he, he resurrected. He conquered sin and death for you and me. And for us as Christians, we can hold on to this claim that death is not the final answer, that he's coming again to bring heaven and earth together in its full fruition. No more tears, no more pain, no more sin, none of that. That is coming, and we can look to that to the future, that no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, we still have life and purpose, and Jesus is going to bring it all together. But Christians, I, I want you to also understand this. Sometimes we hold on to this statement, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, and we use that to go, go and talk to other people about Jesus. That he is the only way. How many of you guys have heard this passage before in regards to evangelism, right? I have, 100 times. Which absolutely it is. But I don't want you to miss, I don't want you to miss the other things that Jesus is actually saying in this. We have to remember that Jesus is the only person that brings true life and fulfillment and purpose, but you must align yourself with him, with his purposes, with his way of life, with his driven life. We must be a people that mimic what he mimics. John chapter 14, verse four. Notice what Jesus says in regards to doubting Thomas. He says, you know, what's that next statement? You know the way. Where are you going? Jesus says, you know the way. Well, how do we know the way? The question is, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? You can hear the anxiousness in his voice in the midst of this situation, can't you? Lord, like, where are you going? What do, what do you mean you're going to a place? What do you mean you're going away? You know the way. How can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. You see, Jesus is the only person that brings true life and fulfillment and purpose, but you have to align yourself to him. In our Western culture, it's all about knowing your Bible. It's all about knowing the answer. We've talked about this before. If you know the answer, you're good to go. But in their culture, it wasn't about knowing the answer it was about mimicking as a disciple of Jesus or a disciple of any rabbi. You need to not only know what the rabbi knows, you need to become what the rabbi is. So you mimicked everything. Everything. Wherever the rabbi went, you went. And what you were learning is you were learning the rabbi's yoke. Everybody say yoke. You were learning their interpretation of the law. And you were taking on their interpretation of the law. 
And so it wasn't just about knowing the answer, it was actually becoming like your rabbi. And we've heard this term yoke before, haven't we? If we've read our Bibles, Jesus talks about it. He says in Matthew chapter 11, 29, take my, what's it say? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. John 14, 6b, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Guess what? Every single rabbi would tell his disciples in Jesus' time, I am the way and the truth. Everyone used that statement if you were a rabbi. That's not a new statement. I am the way and the truth, meaning my way of interpreting things is the way that you should follow. But Jesus does something different. He says, I am the way and the truth. And the disciples are going, okay, we've heard this before in the rabbi-disciple relationship. And then he says, and I am also the life. My way of living is the only way of living. My way of interpreting Torah is the only way to interpret Torah. And I'm inviting you into living a different life. Not just claiming to be divine, absolutely, but I'm also inviting you to a different way of life. And when you align yourself with Jesus, you're aligning to his way of life. And this is what actually changes the world. Did you ever realize that? That Jesus' way of life is actually what changes the world? Does that entail having the right answer? Yeah, it does. But far often, what I've noticed in life is not having necessarily the right answers what actually changes life. It's actually how I live that actually changes the world and is congruent with what I already know is the truth. What's another way to say this? I can tell someone over and over and over again the truth. But when I choose to love them, that's what actually changes the world. Truth and love. Not just one or the other, truth and love. How do I know this? Because me and my wife have debate all the time about who's right. And of course, I'm always right, right? But when we choose, when I choose to not just live in the truth, but I choose to show the proof of truth by loving and serving and laying down my life for my wife, all of a sudden, hearts begin to change. Are you with me this morning, church? We can leave here and go, John chapter 14, I need to go tell everyone about Jesus, the way, the truth, and life. Yes, you do. But it has to be in congruence with Jesus' life. Well, it's still the truth. Yeah, it might be the truth. It might still be the truth. But actually, I'd argue it probably isn't the truth because you're actually not mimicking your life after Jesus' life. And Jesus is inviting us into these I am statements this morning about who he is and what he's inviting you into this morning is not just going, yeah, that's true about Jesus. The question I have to ask for you is, is it true about you as well? Jesus says, I am, I am, I am. The first week we talked about I am the bread of life. That Jesus, Jesus provides spiritual sustenance to people through the power of himself and abiding relationship with with himself, my question for you is, are you providing spiritual sustenance for the people around you? Because Jesus' way of life, he's inviting you into that. And if Jesus is the bread of life, he wants to be the bread of life to other people through you. I am the light of the world. 
that Jesus is providing light in a dark world and how we live according to his word, that his word is a light unto my path, is the word ingrained into your life so that when you walk, it is a light unto your path and it is a light for other people's path. That they go, why do you do what you do? Like, let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you about what he's done for me. Jesus says, I am the door. That Jesus is the God of all circumstances and all situations and that we can walk in joy and peace no matter what transition we find ourselves in. And then when we walk in joy and peace with all circumstances and all transitions, all situations, people go, aren't you afraid? No. No. I'm not afraid. Because Jesus is with me. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. That he provides care and shepherding to people who are lost and hurting, do you see yourself as a pastor of people that provides care and shepherding to people who are lost and hurting? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, providing and breathing life into people who need to experience resurrection, believing that Jesus is never late. Do you believe that? And do you believe that for people? Who are the people in your life that you know that Jesus is inviting you to pastor and to breathe life into and to let them know Jesus still hasn't given up on them. The way, the truth, and life. Is your life a mimic of Jesus' life? Of loving and speaking truth. Now, I know that some of you might be here this morning, and I know there's some of you that are here this morning because I've had conversations with you where you, you, you've allowed the enemy to come and sit at your table. You've allowed them to come and sit at your table because here's the things that I hear that, that come out of your mouth. I hear people say things like, man, I was with the Lord at one point and it was amazing and it was good and I was in ministry and I believed I was gonna be in a full-time ministry and called to be a pastor. I was gonna do this, I was gonna do that and then I blew it. I blew it. And it's too late. My time is gone. I had this amazing experience, but then it just, it went away. And there's nothing I can do to get back to that place. I can't go back, too much time has passed, what's the point now? Has anybody ever experienced this in life? If you wanna be courageous enough, raise your hand. You missed it, you believe that you missed it. I wanna tell you, that Jesus' statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that that statement is true today, and it does not matter where you've been up until this moment, God is inviting you back into that. Are you with me this morning, church? That you can get back on the path that God's called you for. And whatever you've gone through, God's brought you through that time, brought you through that path, and he's inviting you to say, guess what? This was a part of the story from the very beginning. I haven't given up on you. I'm never giving up on you. And he's inviting you into trusting him again that your best days are ahead. The best days aren't in the past. They are ahead and they're always ahead because Jesus is still ruling and reigning and he's coming back, you guys. Yeah, let's go. So if you're here this morning, you're going, I, it's too late. I missed my chance. That is not the voice of Jesus in your life. That is the voice of the enemy. And he's inviting you into something bigger and greater. I want you to hear this passage. 
because I think it's powerful for us to remember. Romans chapter 11, Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and it's a big mess, you guys. The Jews are fighting with the Gentiles, the Gentiles are fighting with the Jews, and there's this big chaos conflict going on in the church in Rome. And Paul says this about the, Rome, uh, about the Jews who were actually like struggling in disobedience, struggling with trusting that Gentiles could be a part of the family, trusting that everybody was available and welcome at the table of Jesus, not making room for each other, fighting about who gets the, the best seats. Um, if you don't know anything about the church in the New Testament, it was a big mess. It's a big mess. And yet in the midst of the mess, Jesus still moves the mission, the mission forward. And so if you ever join a church and it's a mess, you're probably right in the middle of God's will. Just saying. Just saying. And if you're like, well, I found the perfect church. Just hang around a little bit. You'll eventually ruin it. That's just the reality, okay? We will ruin the best things. And this is what Paul has to say. As regards to the gospel, he's talking about the Jews. He says, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards to election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers, for the gifts and the calling of God, what's that next word, are what? My time's, my time's gone. I've missed my shot. God's calling in my life. Like, it's just never gonna, no. God's gifts, God's gifts to us of his calling of God are irrevocable. Whatever God's put in your heart, whatever he's called you, whatever purpose, the way, the truth, and the life, whatever he put in your heart when you were 18 years old, when you were 21 years old, when you were 30 years old, when you were 40, whatever your age, whatever he put in your heart, and you're like, I want to be a part of that again. Oh, my time's passed. That's not true. He's inviting you to the way and the truth and the life, and it can start again. And it needs to start again. Why? Because there are thousands of people who don't know who he is. And he's just looking for someone that'll raise their hand and say, I'll partner with you, Jesus. I'll partner with you, Jesus. Why do we get fired up when Cody and Aaron get on the stage and say they want to be home group leaders? Because someone's raising their hand saying, I'll partner with you, Jesus. I'll make room in my living room for people. And as far as I'm concerned, as we continue to make disciples, that'll never change here at Real Life Ministries. We will always be about making more room for people in the name of Jesus. Because the reality of it is, we're here because someone made room for us. Amen? Someone made room for me. Someone made room for you. And we're all called to be about the way, the truth, and the life. Whatever God's called you to, he's not giving up on you. So tell the enemy, he can kick rocks. I'm joining Jesus. I'm going to be about his way, his truth, and his life. We get to tell the world what Jesus is like, and we get to show the world what Jesus is like. We get to tell what we get to show. And sometimes it takes a long time of just showing and showing and showing before eventually they go, tell me more. Let me just close by telling you this last story is um, I get the awesome opportunity to baptize my neighbors next Sunday. Four years. Four years of praying. Four years of asking, hey, how you doing? From 
from driveway to driveway. How's life going? Four years, and finally, last October, Justin, not me, Justin, my neighbor Justin, same name, Justin goes, hey man, when are church services? Him and his family have been coming almost every single week, been a part of my home group since January, where he finally said, I was wrong. Jesus is right. And I want to trust him and I want to follow him with everything that I am, all that I am, his way, his truth, his life. And we get to baptize him and his wife next Sunday. Yeah. A lot of showing, a lot of living, and eventually, I got to tell him, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. As we wrap up, a couple things to think about for take home. Only when we take on the way of life of Jesus can we take on the nerve of telling the world that Jesus is the only way. That's an audacious statement. That's an arrogant statement. Only one way to heaven through Jesus? That he's God? Yep. But let me show you what his life's like. Let me show you what he's like. Let me show you the love and grace that's been displayed in my life. Let me show you what that's like. Jesus has shown us the way, the truth, and life, but we have to decide if we will partner with him in redeeming and restoring the world back to him. It's easy just to tell the world. It's easy to tell the world. Jesus is the only way. It's a whole nother level commitment to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mimic my life after Jesus' life. I'm gonna put to death myself. I'm gonna love others. I'm gonna serve others. I'm gonna be, as Jenny, our children's pastor says, I'm gonna be moderately or heavily inconvenienced for the sake of others. Because that's the way that Jesus lived. If you think you can't get back on mission with Jesus, you've let the enemy sit at your table if you think you are too far gone. It's part of your story. But Jesus isn't looking at you and going, time's past. It's too late. Now he's inviting you and saying, no. I knew all that was going to happen before I even knit you together in your mother's womb. And I knew you'd be at this moment in this time. And I'm inviting you into something greater. Will you trust him? As we get ready to go to communion, I want to invite you just to bow your heads. And as you bow your heads, if you got communion, awesome. If you didn't get communion, you would like communion, we've got these two fine gentlemen that have got extra communion cups for you. Just raise your hand and they'll make sure they'll give you a cup, piece of bread. What I just want to invite you into is who is the person that has been coming to your mind over and over again about what it means to mimic your life after Jesus so that they would see Jesus. Who is that person? Who is that person that you've been praying about for Easter to invite? And if, if the enemy's telling you right now, well, it's too late. They probably already got plans. I didn't invite. No, no way. Because guess what? We actually celebrate Easter every Sunday. Maybe they can't come on the 17th. That's okay. 
We got church the next week too. But who is that person that God's putting on your heart? And would you pray for them? Maybe it's someone who's hurting, broken. Maybe it's someone that has heard and believes the words, God's given up on me. Would you pray for them? Maybe it's you this morning. Let's get ready to go to the table this morning.